Hello, listeners, and welcome to another installment of the Predlines podcast. Joined this week by my uh, usual two counterparts, got Corey Francis, co-expert of Predlines.com, and of course, George Matarangas, the other co-expert of Predlines.com. My, uh, I myself am just a lowly contributor, but I'll do my best to keep these guys uh, keep these guys talking, so I don't have to do so much of it. Corey, how's it been going, man? How's this uh, sixty-five plus degree January treating you? You know, this has been pretty nice after the uh, six snow days, or actually five snow days, and the Martin Luther King Day off from school with these kids. We've been oh, cooped up in the house. It. Yeah. 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 So it's been a nice couple warm days to get outside and do a few things. We've been out yeah. and running around, but it's been it's, it's going pretty well. Good deal. And George, I'm, I think it's safe to assume it's not sixty degrees up in Wisconsin. It's actually like forty five degrees here, so oh, it's pretty good. Right. It, it rained today, yeah. which means that it's not freezing. So I'm pretty happy about yeah. that. I uh, made. I was. I, I guess kind of like you, Corey. I was a little getting a bit of cabin fever as they say so yesterday i decided to go on a brief hike and uh it was extremely muddy so that was fun uh i need to actually after we finish this i need to go clean the inside and outside of my car um but you know it was nice to get out and enjoy some nice weather for once so anyhow uh in the meantime there's been quite a lot of predators hockey to talk about of course coming off that bye week and having a very busy schedule um in the past week or so first things first uh getting it done against vegas uh avoiding the season sweep i suppose by the vegas golden knights uh and actually going 500 with that regulation win so uh nice to see that i thought personally as i um detailed pretty well in my uh, article about it that was just the best game i think i've seen all year from any two hockey teams uh, really, really impressed by both teams. A lot of speed, great goaltending, just a, a whole lot of fun. You know, you, you see the score one nothing, and that could mean a lot of different things. But for this game, I think it was it was exactly the result that I think was you know should have happened. It was the goaltenders were both the the MVPs, and uh, UC Saros was good for just uh, well about twice as many saves as, as Flurry. Saros just got shelled in there. Uh, George, what did you think uh, taken away from this Vegas game? Um, I think that the Predators did a pretty good job on defense. They really kept a lot of the, a lot of the Vegas Golden Knights' chances out of the slot, uh, which I think is what really contributed to UC Saros's uh, shutout. As well, I, the, the big thing that, that stands out to me um, is that the Predators got beaten in four out of five of the advanced stats categories, but the one that they won I think is the most important, and that's high-danger chances. Granted, they only won uh, nine to eight, but... You know, any victory over the Golden Knights should be, you know, lauded. It's that's not easy to do, and you know the Predators earned that victory. Uh, also, when was the last time that UC Saros hasn't been shelled in a game? I'm I'm that's true, a little yeah. curious. Yeah, um, yeah. I was. I mean, it was a little strange. Like, obviously, that was a big talking point going into that game. Uh, I guess the team, and you know, this is the team's official stance, and I think that this is probably true. They just wanted to give. Uh, Pecorino an extra couple days off and Saros had played extremely well in the AHL for that he did not have a week off Uh, he got shipped back up to Wisconsin to play in Milwaukee but I think he allowed three goals in three games and at least one of those I believe was a shutout so um, yeah they they just decided to go with Saros and I mean it's hard to argue with a 40 I think it was 43 or 46 save shutout um, in the in the mid 40s range so yeah, I think that that turned out to look 
like a pretty genius move from the Predators side of things. Uh, Corey, your your thoughts on on the one zero victory against Vegas? You know that could have been a really really poor game for the Predators, given the fact that Arvidsson was out, uh, the fact that Soros was in net, and and then coming off that break, you know everybody expected Rene to be in there, but man, Soros is just. He is just a different player than he was at the beginning of the season. He's following the puck well. He's making quick, decisive moves. He's very confident between the pipes now. And so I think having having him in there, especially after he had played the week before up in Milwaukee, I think that really, really helped out quite a bit. Um, the one thing that I'll, I'll, I really noticed was the the Predators weren't taking a lot of shots, and that, that was kind of documented in the telecast itself. And then... Uh, someone had, you know, kind of challenged the Predators. I can't remember what, said one of the coaches at, at one of the intermissions had challenged the Predators to take more shots. And then all of a sudden, Kevin Fiala just started lighting things up. And, uh, I mean, he took, I mean, he only had like, I guess he only had like three shots on goal, but at the point in time, he had nothing. And then third period comes around, it looked like a completely different player. And that's translated into some other things later in the week, which I thought was really impressive seeing how he can, just a, a mental shift or a, a, just a, a, a way of playing, just seeing him go aggressively after things. I think it's been a big turnaround for uh, for him at this point in time. Yeah, as you kind of touched on the Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, he didn't have to face quite as many shots, but um, I thought the Predators did a much better job at selecting their shots, uh, trying to crash the net a little more and create some of that, that uh, those dangerous chances against Fleury and uh, aside from that one goal, of course, he played uh, just an extremely well, uh, extremely good game. Yeah, just just a lot of fun to watch. Uh, obviously, I was pleased that the Predators pulled out the victory, but I mean that one had me on the edge of my seat. So that was uh, that was definitely a nice wake up call after the the long bye week. So uh, props to Vegas for keeping going. But uh, yeah, it was nice to see Nashville finally kind of conquer that demon at least a little bit. Um, next game on the on the ticket, I thought was pretty much the polar opposite. I thought it was, uh, you know, I struggled to say one of the worst performances from the Predators because I think they've had some pretty bad ones this year. But um, oof, that was, I thought that Arizona game was just bad. They did get it done in the shootout, uh, and that included a very late goal, I think, in the inside the last three minutes of the game to to tie it up and send it to overtime. There were some pretty decent looks, I think. Uh, Sissons had a couple of good chances. Fiala too got robbed. You know they met uh, Anti Niemi on, or sorry, not Anti, not Niemi, Anti Ranta, uh, the other Anti on. Uh, I mean, just looked like sort of the night of his season. Um, you know, and as, as I heard, you know, kind of thrown around, it seems like the Predators always uh, meet opposing goaltenders on the night of their season. So maybe it's something they're doing. Regardless, they uh, they did get it done, and I think that would that was their fourth win straight. Um, so. You know, I, I'm pretty – I've had very few good things to say about this game as far as the Predators are concerned. George, did you did you pick up on anything positive or is it, uh, is it kind of more of the same? Um, I really like – everyone that knows me knows I'm a huge Yarn Croak apologist, but I really liked uh, Yarn Croak and um, Fiala's compatibility, at least on the ice as wingers. And this is now, I think, the third uh, different, I guess, pair that I've seen Yarn Croak be a part of that's done well where – when he was with Forsberg, uh, they were both scoring quite a few goals on the third line, and I kind of just attribute it to Forsberg being Forsberg in carrying Jaren Kroko along. But uh, after seeing him now with uh, with Fiala and helping him out, as well as with um, uh, Mika Salameki, 
you know, maybe Yernkirk's uh, playing a little bit bigger of a factor than I thought he was. And I, I have to say that um, Fiala was everywhere on the ice against the Coyotes. I'm surprised he didn't have two or three goals. And the, you know, but what I saw from uh, from Yernkirk was he just was A, getting out of his way and B, just being in the right place for rebounds or being in the right place to receive a pass or being in the right place to uh, receive a shot. And so I, I was really impressed with that pair. Otherwise, I don't, I wasn't really impressed at all with the Predators. I think Ryan Johansson had a better game as as it went on, although you could definitely tell he looked a little shell-shocked in the first period or so, probably even into the second period. But you just didn't have guys capitalizing on their chances. And when it comes down to it, uh, you know, the teams had equal number of chances at 5-on-5 of 24, but the Predators actually got beat out 6-5 uh, to five in high-danger chances, which how are you letting that happen against the Coyotes? That's... It's like literally the only team that might be worse at that might be Buffalo. Although I'd have to go back and check the numbers, but yeah, that's pretty unacceptable. Yeah, that was, I mean that was my big takeaway was even though they got it done, it was so ugly, and that would have been their second loss <clears throat> against the worst team in the NHL this year. In the you know no, not meaning to be too disrespectful to the Arizona Coyotes, but you just got to look at it objectively and think. I mean that's that's a game that Nashville should have just run away with. I thought if they had. If the Preds had played like they did against Vegas, that's this game just would have been over in the first. Um, and on the other hand, if if Nashville had played against Vegas like they did against Arizona, that would have been a sh- you know domination on the other end. So it is just more of the same kind of inconsistencies. I think they've gotten a little better as the season's gone on at maintaining a, a kind of a higher bar uh, throughout their performances. There, there's kind of fewer of these just head scratchers, but. I, I would put, even though they, like I said, even though they got the two points and uh, kind of showed some good resilience to get it done there late, I, I still think this this one left me kind of with my hands hands raised, just wonder what, what had happened. Um, Corey, your thoughts on the, on the shootout win against Arizona? You know, if you look through all the stats, one of the things that surprised me, and um, and I'm looking at it right now uh, at, on both hockey reference and natural stat trick, Every Predators player had off offensive zone starts of 50% or more. And yet we only were able to get two goals with all of the offensive starts that we had. Like we're playing in the offensive zone a great deal of time. And yet we're not getting anything done. Now, granted, I know there's still some things with, you know, some injuries and line shifts and new people on new lines. And, you know, there's a lot of moving around. So it takes a little bit of time, but this should have been a game where the Predators come in Looking at the stats, you know, leading the shot charts on the course, you know, the Corsi stats, leading the offensive zone stats, you know, this should have been a game where the Predators had a three or four goal win. Now, granted, they scored first and they won, which is continuing the trend for them this year. Uh, thank goodness for Ryan Ellis, who you know sets uh, Scott Hartnell a beautiful pass down the down the ice for a, a breakaway attempt and then also that laser shot he had later in the game to to tie it up for the predators but you know this should have been a game they won going away if you look at some of these stats and it's just they're not producing anything offensively and that's really disturbing to me it seems sort of you know we we talk a lot about how the the predators sort of play to the level of their opponents which i think this was another example of and it seems to me like there's just sort of a lack of urgency in terms of offense uh, when you're playing a team like Arizona, especially like you mentioned when they're do- when Nashville's dominating the scoring uh, the uh, shot attempts. 
there's sort of like a, a bit of laziness. I, this is, again, this is kind of the eye test for me. A bit of laziness from the forwards. You know, they think, I guess maybe somewhere in their subconscious, they're thinking this is a pretty bad opponent and we're getting tons of chances, so these are just going to start leaking in eventually. I think, you know, a key to getting those, the wins that they really should be getting pretty easily, like this one, I think the key is going to be to, you know, somehow convince themselves that each chance might be their last one in the game, you know, something like that. Give them a little more desperation offensively. You know, the puck kind of bounces around, and like I mentioned, you know, Ranta played a, a really good game. He stopped some pretty clear chances. But, you know, I'd like to see more more forwards crash in that, try to create a little bit of that confusion and chaos and treat every chance like, you know, this is the one that's got to go in. Um, yeah, you know, you mentioned the Hartnell, <laughs> the Hartnell goal. I, I should have known it was going to be a weird game when I guess the oldest skater on the ice gets a breakaway goal. I, that's, I couldn't believe who I saw with the with the puck on that one. Um, but yeah, it was nice to see him, him put that one away. He's, uh, he's been a little quiet recently, I think. So, uh, nice to see Hartsey get back on the, on the scoring sheet. Also, Picarino uh, was then, a little, uh, Picarino was not yes. that, that fresh that game at clean. He was really fighting the puck and he was having trouble moving. And I think a lot of this comes down to what we, what we're seeing from Saros as well, where it's just a different end goalie attitude as well as a goalie, uh, I guess we'll call it physical ability. Where Pecorini relies much more on his athleticism, where you have Saros, who I've kind of liked to refer to as a very discount carry price because he relies so much on his technicality and his positioning to make those saves rather than, you know, sliding across and waving his arms and making, you know, kind of making those desperation saves. And I think we saw it once or twice with the Coyotes, and we didn't really see it at all with Vegas, where you didn't really see Saros get too flustered, where, but with, uh, with the Coyotes, there was a couple times where Saros was fighting the puck with his glove hand, and you know he created a few rebounds on himself just because of that, and he had to make some truly desperation saves. So I wonder if that's going to continue. I wonder if that's because it kind of seemed like he was beyond that earlier on in the season, and it's just slowly been creeping back into his game. So I wonder if that's that's going to be a trend that's going to continue on. Yeah, I think um, you know I kind of mentioned this to you. I think right after that game that I thought that was a very important game for Pecorino, and I think the Panthers won yesterday or uh, Saturday night was as well, simply because Saros has been so good that the team. I mean, if you look at this objectively, you've got to start wondering how to weight these starts. And I think we've all kind of for several weeks now we've all been kind of pulling for a, a more equal start ratio for Saros and Rene. But I think if if Rene is going to continue being the the true kind of um, automatic starter, he needed this. He needed that win against Arizona, and he really I think needed the one against Florida too, just to kind of again, you know, as George mentioned, it's it wasn't pretty. Uh, he, it, he didn't look quite as uh, um, you know clutch as he has perhaps the rest of the season, and I think that that's to be expected. I don't think any of us could have. Um, honestly predicted that he would continue riding a nine three five. I think is what his yeah. usual save percentage was. You know, that's just not sustainable based on any historical metrics. So it will be a bit of a wake-up call, I think, for the team that, that Rene and, and, to be honest, probably Saros will start coming back down to earth. But I think that it was important for Rene to get that win, um, however it happened, just to kind of get a, get a start back under his belt after he had missed about a week and a half. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think there's too much to worry about. I think the team can adjust. I, you know, I, surely the coaches haven't 
you know, told these players they can rely on that kind of goaltending performance. I mean, maybe they have, but I would hope that they can adjust to a, a league average goaltender. Um, hopefully that's, that's as far as it drops. Um, anyway, and I, as I mentioned, the, the Panthers game, of course, Saturday night, I thought this was a very weird game. That was kind of the interesting thing about this week is I thought these games were all so different. Um, the Florida game, you know, Florida seems to be a team that even though they're they're sort of struggling this year and, and tend to, they always sort of give Nashville a hard time, and I'm not exactly sure why that is. Last night's game, Saturday night's game was, um, as I like to say, run and gun. It was basically just offense. I, both defenses, I thought, looked very disorganized. Um, Rene was not going to get any help, I thought. It seemed after the first period it was just going to be kind of him doing it on, on his own. Um, of course, playing a goaltender who had, I believe, 23 minutes of NHL time before last night as an opponent. But, uh, you know, I thought he played pretty well. Um, the first... How many, <laughs> you know, how, many backups, how many backups did the Predators going to play? Because I remember on that last know, right? road trip, they played like four. Like it, yeah. I, they must have the most wins against uh, backups in the entire NHL. Like, yeah. It, I mean, I, sh- I need to look that up. It, I, they always ca- seem to catch teams on, on the end of a back-to-back. So, and... and Florida paid uh, took Vegas out in overtime the night before, so um, yeah. But you're right; it, it does seem to be sort of a trend for Nashville to play backups, and they, as I mentioned, seem to always make those goaltenders look like uh, all-world players. Um, the Fiala goal was just beautiful for a number of reasons. I mean, it was just a great goal, great team passing, great setup, and then it was just really nice to see Fiala get rewarded. He's been working his ass off in the past week or so so it's been really it was really nice to see him get rewarded with that um not just beautiful goal and i think sort of a <laughs> welcome to the nhl kind of moment uh for the goaltender there um it, it did end up going in the predators favor they got uh, five straight regained their place at the top of the central division uh there was that kind of fluky goal from <laughs> center ice uh, it's kind of rare to see a, a, ver- a veteran like Rene get fooled on a shot like that but it, to hit uh, to Yandel's credit, it was just a perfectly placed shot. Um, that was so cheeky. Nice little... That was so pretty. Oh that yeah, was... this is, you just kind of got to smile at that. Um, I just remember watching the highlights, thinking like, "Wow, that's you know that's really bad luck." How you know who that tip off of, and then seeing the other angle, and like, nope. <laughs> "Oh no, he did that. That was that was impressive." Yeah, wow. that was calculated. Um, yeah. Anyway, George, what what you? I, I don't. I think if I'm remembering correctly, you didn't catch this game, but uh, no. maybe from looking at the stats or the highlights, anything that jumped out at you. Well, as always, I never watch games. I just look at spreadsheets. Um, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. probably going to be my bio next week. But um, I don't know. You know, uh, this is way too close. Just looking at the just look at the spreadsheet. This should not have been as close as it is. Uh, the Florida Panthers have four really good players on offense and have about two good players on defense, and then that's kind of really it. And so to kind of to see it be this close when the National Predators are just so deep and playing at home and while, you know, the Panthers are on the lighter half of a back-to-back is just kind of crazy, especially with a goalie that's never actually started an NHL game before. Like, the Panthers were out, were beat out in shot attempts and also unblocked shot attempts and beat out in shots as well. But if you just keep looking, they got beat out 33-22 to 22 in, in scoring chances, and then luckily for them, they tied 9-9 to nine in high-danger chances. But, I mean, jeez, like... It just doesn't make sense. I understand if you're going to get beat by guys like Alexander Barkov or Jonathan Huberto or Vinny Trocek, but like 
Michael Haley had like a 76 Corsi. Uh, Colin Sevier had a 65. Nick Justad had a 60. Jamie McGinn, Jared McCann in the 50s. Like, you know, Vinny Trocek had 52, but Vinny Trocek's actually a pretty good player, pretty unheralded. But, you know, give, give him credit where credit's due. Uh, the Predators kept Dadanov, Barkov, and Huberto down to like a 47% Corsi, which is, you know, pretty good. And although they did score a goal and they had three of the of the nine high danger chances for the Predators. So I don't know. It just wasn't a very clean calculated game. And you can get away with running gun against the Panthers on the latter half of a back-to-back with a backup goalie in net. But any other team on any other night probably wouldn't, you know, probably that probably won't cut it. Yeah. Like I said, it is for whatever reason, it seems like Florida has Nashville's number kind of every year. <clears throat> I thought the, uh, um, the church at goal, which was kind of set up by Dadanov, that was a very rare <clears throat> misstep, I think, from PK Subban. Um, well, it seemed like well, that, you know, was, the, that was they the were one on... where, uh, where Lexi Emlin jumped in, right? I mean, what was yeah. Emlin doing? Uh, Subban was, a, was on his way to the corner. Shocking game. Yeah, yeah, but I think it looked like uh, to me, it looked like Subban had just was was set up way too high, and and Nashville was on the penalty kill, but they had just had I think one or two pretty decent shorthanded chances. It seemed like Subban had kind of gotten lulled into that offensive um, mentality again and then just got beat. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Emelin. Emelin had a very rough game last night. Um, <clears throat> yeah, as, as I think – I don't I never know who's tweeting from the Predlines account, but one of you mentioned that uh, Emelin owed Pecorine a, a nice steak dinner. And amongst yeah, that was, that was me. Yeah, usually, usually yeah. when it's during a game like that, you're seeing, you're seeing random tweets. That's usually me. At that yeah. point in time, I mean um, that was that was spot on. Is just a lot of the, and a lot of the defensemen I thought last night probably should chip in and, and buy Rene a nice steak dinner. Uh, yeah, they did, they did not said, help him one bit. Yeah, <laughs> and go ahead, Corey. Why don't you expand on that a little bit? Well, it's like you're just. I'm watching them play, and like you know, we talked about. There's that power play goal that um, the Panthers were able to get, and you know, Subban was just he. he he was looking at one place the, and then, you know, someone comes behind him and pounces on the rebound and he, he saw the rebound happening. It looked like Subban saw the rebound. He just didn't react to it quickly. And neither did Rene. Usually Rene would jump on that and, and keep it down. And that didn't happen. But then there's another play on the second goal where, um, Alexi Emlin kind of follows the puck behind the net, but he, he's in front of the net. He's in front of uh, Rene, but he's kind of following the puck behind the net and then uh, here, all of a sudden, here comes Johansson sweeping across to get the puck as well. Emlin follows him and leaves a wide open shot for for the Panthers. And it's just like they're they're not playing positionally. They're not playing like they're they're not looking around them and they're not aware of who's around them to that's going after a puck or who's what skater's coming through. It's there's a lot of confusion on the um, on their defense right now that's causing some problems uh, I, I you know that was a the defense especially the first period just did not help them out at all it was good to see though I like this combination with Benino Jan Croak and uh, Fiala that worked really well last night I mean of course they, they had eight points combined you know all three goals and uh, they just seem to really, really work well together. I'm, I'm kind of interested in seeing how things go if that continues. It seems like whatever line Fiala's on, that line does pretty well. First, it was Turris and and Smith and Fiala, and the, you know some things move around, but that's an interesting line there. And then someone that I just thought played really well, even though it doesn't show up in the stat sheet, was uh, Pontus Aberg. I mean, there was a few chances he was pressuring the puck. He uh, poke ch- he uh, poke checked the uh, puck away. 
and it got up to uh, Kyle Turris on the breakaway there. When I think it went from uh, Aberg to Smith to Turris, and Turris had a really good shot and just unlucky, uh, unlucky when it came down to it. But you know, Aberg was around the the ice all night long, and I thought played really well as well. And he needed to have, you know, he's one of those players that's starting to get a little. I think the uh, the walls are starting to close in a little bit, starting to need one of those really nice performances. And like you said, he maybe didn't show up on the stat sheet, but uh, just kind of the eye test. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Aberg looked a little more confident, a little more aggressive out there. Um, and you mentioned that 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 line, and it seemed like a bit of sacrilege to mess with the the Smurf line, right, as it's called. Um, but with some of these injuries, they're going to have to be a little creative. And I, I mean, it's hard to argue with that uh, Fiala yarn croak line. Uh, I mean, they got uh, eight points from three players in that game. And uh, I mean, Benino played very well. He's another guy like Aberg. I think Benino really needed to have a good one. Um, somebody mentioned, uh, I think this was, uh, I don't remember who, some blogger, I believe mentioned that, um, Benino is shooting like 15%, so it's kind of mind-blowing that he hasn't uh, scored since the early December, but the fact is he just hasn't shot at all. So um, Benino's been kind of invisible out there, and uh, yeah, I mean, he, <laughs> there was some some uh, media coverage of his superstitious intermission uh, ritual. He's you know, sat down again in the same media chair that he had. Uh, so you know what, I say more power to him, whatever it takes to start getting the shots away and let the goals come back into his uh, kind of wheelhouse. I think, uh, yeah, Benino had a, a good game when he really needed one. Um, and we mentioned the, we touched on the injuries that, that uh, Nashville had to play through this week. Obviously, Forsberg's still out. Timetable for his return, I think, is still a week or two away, maybe two weeks um, with that uh, upper body injury. Uh, they were still missing Arvidsson against uh, Vegas and Arizona. I thought that uh, – and Arvidsson, I, I guess we should mention as well against the Panthers. Arvidsson seemed to have a bit of a breakout game too. I think he came back from that injury and uh, maybe had his – I don't know, maybe had his cage rattled a little bit by the injury and just decided he was going to step up his game. I thought he was nice and aggressive and getting involved like, uh, you know, his play style kind of revolves around. Uh, Eckholm, has, Eckholm was out against the Panthers with an illness. I think one of you found that that was, uh, in fact, the flu. So – that's been going around, and it affects. I guess it affects professional athletes, like it affects uh, you know kids in school. It's uh, <laughs> it just goes around. And, uh, it's particularly bad this year, right? Because the flu shot is is ineffective. Um, yeah, so Ekholm uh, missed the Panthers game, but I think uh, probably maybe should see him back Tuesday night. I'm not sure if that's a little too early. If not Tuesday, I would expect Thursday night. Um, I thought, you know, the defense, as we mentioned, looked pretty shaky against the Panthers. I'm not sure how much of that can be attributed to Ekholm. Obviously, that changes up the, the defensive pairings when you lose a top-four guy like Ekholm. It's, it, uh, that was a game where it was obviously very nice to have Ellis back. You don't have to rely quite so much on that sixth and seventh defenseman. Um, yeah, so, you know, I'll, I'll ask George. Obviously, you're a, a big Ekholm fan, as as most of us are. Did you, uh, do you think that his absence will, you know, be worth more than just him being out? You know, will will his, will the ramifications kind of affect the rest of the team? Uh, if he misses Tuesday night, is that going to be kind of a disaster against uh, obviously the best team in the NHL at this moment? Can they survive? I'll, uh, I'll just lay that on you. Well, of course the effects are going to be felt. Uh, Matias Ekholm is one of the better defensive defensemen in the NHL, and um, 
I, I think we can all pretty safely assume that if he plays, him and Subban will be paired together, and they will be going up against the Stamkos Kucherov, Nemestinkinov uh, line, and right, rightfully so. The you know uh, in the past we've seen uh, Missy Zeckelman and Subban get split up to kind of add some more defensive depth against deeper teams like Vegas, but. I would say that the Lightning are as deep as Vegas, but Vegas doesn't have that that star power that, that the Lightning have. And so, you know, now you need to really keep Stamkos and Kucherov off the score sheet, so you're going to put that eraser line on them. And uh, if they don't have them, then, you know, as much as some may love Alexi Emelin, he's no, he's no real replacement. I don't even know if he's half the player that Ekholm is at this point in time. And so that's going to be really tricky. And not only do you rob, you know... Uh, P.K. Subban a partner, but you rob P.K. Subban of a partner that he can trust on defense. And when Subban can't trust his partner on defense, he can't really step up as much as he'd like to. And we all saw what happened when he stepped up on uh, against the Panthers with that you know blistering rocket of a goal. So uh, obviously Ekholm's, Ekholm's absence will be felt, but I think it's going to be bigger than we than we may realize if he, if he is out. But if it's just the flu, something tells me he'll be back on time for Tuesday. Three days of rest should be enough. Right, and even if he's not back to 100%, I imagine, you know, there's obviously no risk of, of worsening an injury or anything, so I would say as long as he feels like he can lace up the skates, I'm sure he will. Um, and, I th- you know, obviously the Forsberg injury is not brand new, yet it's not news. It's uh, It's been that way for a couple weeks now. And I think that um, a game that really showed to me the, the absence of Forsberg was the, the Arizona game. It's always sort of those games when it just – Nobody can seem to to score, at least uh, not as often as they'd like. It seems like Forsberg is always a guy, especially on a power play, who who just knows how to find the net when the team really needs it. So, Corey, have you been, uh, you know, have you been impressed by the team's ability to step up? Obviously, they've been winning games, um, not scoring a ton of goals, I guess. But you know, have you, have you, do you think the Predators' response to missing Forsberg has been sufficient, or would you like to see some of the depth guys be stepping up even more? Well, you can't argue with going, I think, what is it, 5-1-1 one, and one, or 6-1-1 one, and one now without them? I mean, they're winning. That's you, They're getting points. That's the most important thing of all of it. Um, I, I was hoping to see a little bit more from other players, though. I was hoping to see, uh, of course, Arvidsson missing some time didn't help with, with him. And so, I, you know, I understand that. But players like Craig Smith and, and Kyle Turris, uh, I was hoping to see a little bit more from them. They haven't done a lot lately. Uh, I know they've, you know... I don't know. I guess, you know, there's ebb and flow to the season and sometimes you have hot streaks and sometimes you don't. Uh, but I wish I would like to see more from them. The thing that really bothers me though, is with Ryan Johansson, he's not shooting. He's skating around and trying to make a cute pass to someone like he'll skate. Like he did this last night on the power play. He uh, skated around behind the net and then tried to do a little backhanded pass uh, behind the net to someone in front of the, uh, to someone in front of the net for a shot. But of course, everybody expected Johansson to do that. So then, you know, they stole the puck away and kept the uh, Predators from getting any type of shots. And he, he does that all the time. He's looking for a way to pass the puck as opposed to driving towards the puck and shooting. And so I think the big my big concern was how was, Joh- how was Ryan Johansson going to uh, produce during this time? And he really hasn't done anything. I think he had one shot against Arizona. I, think he ha- I don't think he had a single shot last night. Um, and we're talking about a player that's getting $8 million a year over eight years. Uh, you want to see more production from someone of that level. 
Yeah, I see what you're saying because I, I think against Florida, especially, I saw there were there was at least one and a few more chances where um, Johansson just had pretty much a clear path to net, and he was still looking for the pass. I mean, I think we can all agree that he is definitely more of a playmaker than a shooter. At least he thinks he is, uh, and I think that. Forsberg is a real key part to Johansson being effective because Johansson sees the play develop and and contributes to a developing play, I think, better than anyone on the team. He just has a brain for hockey and knows where the puck needs to be and has the skill to put it there. But I think he needs a a winger like, you know, of Forsberg's kind of caliber who can work with him and kind of predict his movements and see where that because Johansson doesn't always make the obvious play I think that's you know the real danger of him is that he can make the play that you're you're not expecting but you need a player who can be there to receive the pass and and put a um, you know put the puck between the pipes and I think uh, you know that that is definitely Philip Forsberg Arvidsson has a role in that line too of, of you know screening the goaltender creating you know pulling away some of the defensemen but I think the real key there is that that dynamic of Johansson and Forsberg that said, I think Johansson, uh, I thought he had a pretty good game last night, actually. There uh, there were a few shifts from him that I was just very, very impressed by his ability to move the puck. It was definitely a little worrying against Arizona. As George mentioned, he looked a little shell-shocked. And I think, you know, I don't want to stir the, the flames too much because I'm an amateur. You know, I'm certainly not, not a medical professional, but I have a hunch that Johansson is or was playing through a concussion, which, uh, you know, that just rubs me the wrong way. But... I think uh, the Florida game, I think, was a nice bounce back to what more of we've, you know, more what we're used to seeing from Johansson. But like you mentioned, I think that there were a couple chances where I would just like to see him simplify it and shoot the puck because he, had, you know, he had the clear look at goal, and he does have a really nice shot. I mean, we've seen him play shots well. He doesn't have the power as much as he just he knows where to place it. So, uh, yeah, I can see I can see your concern with Johansson and. I like George as a yarn croak apologist. I'm certainly a Johansson apologist and I, you know, that guy will be chased out of the NHL before I will admit that he's done anything wrong. Basically, <laughs> I'm just so consistently impressed by his performance and I know what he's trying to do and he's not a shooter. He's a playmaker and I can kind of see him trying to create uh, offense in unique ways. So I appreciate that. But yeah, I think it's fair to every now and then to criticize him and just say, you know what, that needed to be a lot simpler. You had that shot, you needed to take it. Just to, um, just, just to bring it on my point, that I don't want to harp on this too much, but how many shots does he have this year? That's a great question. I 60. Don't know. 60. In 42 games, he has 60 shots. Well, uh, yeah. In 2015-16, in his 42 games with the Predators, he had 97 shots. Last year he had 154 as a total for 200 uh, for 2015-16 he had 189 185 he had 200 shots a couple of years before that so I mean he can shoot he's not shooting and you yeah. know it, it's it's just it's you can be an apologist I'm just trying to be a realist about it you know I, I'm no and, and that's good it's, I mean that's... so it, he I think he I think he could do more which would open up things a little bit more for. Arvidsson and Forsberg and whoever else is back back there with them. So just just yeah. personal opinion. And I think a, a big difference this season is that that his, Johansson's lines have been much more defensive than they have been in previous years, uh, for whatever reason. And and I guess you know I think this is a good thing from a team perspective, even if it's a bad thing for his personal uh, production. And George, I'll let you touch on this a little bit because I know you're a big fan of zone starts and that sort of thing. But I think that we've seen Johansson being used a little differently than what maybe we're used to. And I think it's, you know, I 
I don't necessarily agree with him being used on the penalty kill, which we've seen a couple times recently, and I'm not exactly sure what that's all about. The guy's playing, uh, he's already playing 14 minutes a night uh, at 5-on-5. Five five. I don't know why you would feel the need to put him in there in a PK situation. But, I, you know, we've seen that his responsibilities are, are increasing, especially in the defensive zone. Uh, and, George, I'll let you jump in here and, and talk a little bit about maybe how Johansson's being used differently this year. Yeah, I'm not really sure why they're using him in the defensive zone. Um, as sports science has kind of progressed, we figured out that athletes' bodies can only take so much. And I think it's one of the reasons why you see uh, goalies in the playoffs fizzle out, especially goalies like Braden Holtby and Kerry uh, Price that play 60 to 70 games a season. Uh, you know, they're just the athlete's body can only take so much minutes before it really starts to kind of break down on them. And um, I think that they're kind of in danger, at least in the beginning of the season, it's been better. But just going back to, you know, Reina and then transitioning to Johansson, that I think that they're kind of, at the beginning of the season, they were in danger of putting Rene into that kind of category or pushing him too hard. And now with Johansson, I think they might be doing the same thing. And I, I had this gripe also with uh, Matias Ekholm on the power play, where... In the beginning of the season before Ellis, uh, Subban, Ekholm, and Yossi were playing around 25 to 26 minutes a night, all three of them. And it was kind of like, this is fine for now, but when's it going to end? And now that Johansson's playing on the penalty kill as well, especially in a team that has guys like Nick Benino, uh, Kyle Yarncroak, uh, Austin Watson, uh, Miki Salamaki, I mean, that's two pairs right there, two sets of forwards right there that could play. Uh, they could play it. And even then, Arvidsson has played penalty kill on occasion, and I wouldn't be opposed to playing Forsberg, although I don't. I think that would probably fall into the same category as uh, Johansson, where it's kind of like, why Why would you do that? Just save him for the you know, save him for the power play and for 5-on-5 five five when he really has a chance to, to dominate. Um, but, yeah, we're just going back to Johansson. Despite his technically down year as far as stats go, he's still f- uh, fifth, fifth on the team as far as uh, Corsi, fourth and forwards. Um, but he's only starting the offensive zone around 40 or 54% of the time, which I know 54 is quite a lot, but compared to like the 61% that he was spending last year with the Jofa line, it's actually quite, that's quite uh, less. And last year, what we saw is very similar to what we're seeing this season with, uh, with what was the Smurf line, where... Pierre Laviolette was throwing the Yarncroak line out against teams like against you know teams first lines in the effort to pit Jofa up against second and third liners in an attempt to kind of create some scoring. It was basically hedging your bets to say like we believe that we believe that Yarncroak can keep Stamkos to one goal while we think that the Lightning's second line or third line can only keep Jofa to two goals, and it worked sometimes and it worked in the playoffs for a while, but. I don't. I think teams caught on, um, and this kind of goes back to my original point that I've been harping on the entire season, where I don't think Pierre Laviolette is a good coach um, in general. I think he's ridden hot goalies and he's ridden high shooting percentages and a little bit of luck uh, to to the heights that he's been to, especially with that Carolina Hurricanes team that he won the cup with back in 06-07. and so. I'm I'm curious now that we're finally starting to see a team that the NHL knows, and we're starting to see lines that the NHL has time to prepare against. You know, now that we're seeing how that's you know playing out, it hasn't been going as well. Um, I think it's kind of a testament to it. And while I do think that Johansson needs to shoot more and needs to maybe not make some of those passes, I'm not necessarily as angry about him making those passes on the power play, just because the the team just has such a 
I'm trying to find the best way to say this without cursing, but they're just not good (laughs) at getting the puck to the high danger areas, whether it's on the power play, whether it's on five on five. And so trying to make those key moves is fine on the power play because I just, no one else is, no one else is doing them. So I guess him trying, it's better than, than not, but yeah, he needs, he needs to start taking some shots. I, I agree. He hasn't been shooting enough. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really all I have to say about that, besides the fact that I definitely think he's playing with King. He at least played against Arizona with a concussion. I, uh, I'm not, yeah, and I, I do I'm not a doctor, t- but yeah. Yeah, I do want to touch on that, and I'm not going to get too into it because this, this quickly turns into a rant for me. Um, I just don't understand how you can. How that hit from Carey has zero repercussions. I, I understand that he wasn't targeting Johansson's head, but. The shoulder made contact with the head and took Johansson out for the rest of the game. And as we've discussed, I think probably has left him with a concussion. And it, to me, that's just yet another example this season of, of the Department of Player Safety really not having the right priorities. It's more like they're, you know, I, I tried to come up with a different, you know, an alternative. Like perhaps they're the Department of, you know, bad penalty accountability. You know, they, they'll they'll crack down on players who make egregious plays, you know, really obviously target the head. Of course, as we've seen uh, <laughs> with, with uh, Malkin and Dustin Brown, perhaps they don't even do that. You know, they kind of a slap on the wrist. So I, I've, just, I've just been extremely disappointed with the Department of Player Safety uh, pretty much since the league has started pretending to care about head injuries because I, th- I think Johansson's example, and, you know, he's a, he's a pretty high-profile player. He's not... Um, you know, he's not one of the guys that's consistently in highlight reels, but I, I think Johansson, had the number one center for the best team in the Central Division, I think is a high-profile enough player that this should have been at least discussed. And the really shocking thing for me was, you know, during the game against Vegas, and I, I think this was pretty much the only blemish on that entire game. I thought it was such a fun, fast-paced, modern hockey game, and then somebody has to go and be old-school and injure somebody and of course then it turns into a polarizing issue of well are you uh you know well there's a bit of misogyny i won't tiptoe around it you know it was basically are you a girl who wants players not to get hit or are you a man and you want hard hitting old school hockey and uh given the choice i'd probably go with the former and i i mean that was just such a fun game until that injury and it just kind of brought it all crashing back down to reality and then i switched channels during the intermission to the nhl network and I, I want to say it was Kevin Weeks. I don't remember exactly who it was talking about it, saying that that was a good hockey play and it's unfortunate. And, blah, and I mean, that right there is the issue. You know, Johansson, as I've said many times, Johansson's brain doesn't care what if it was a good hockey play. It's concussed, in my opinion. Um, I don't really know how it couldn't be after he hit the carry his shoulder, the glass, and then the ice with his head. There's zero response, zero accountability. Um, so you can just kind of go throwing your body around into players' skulls. As long as it doesn't look egregious, you're going to skate away just fine, and that's exactly what happened. In fact, Carrier, Carrier was then going off and you know arguing with other Preds players about it. You know, he obviously had zero uh, you know consideration about the type of hit he had just laid out. And anyway, that I've I've been stewing on that since it happened. That just really was another example to me of of the NHL being completely hypocritical about their approach to head injuries and player safety in general. 
Um, and I think uh, Tuesday night in Nashville is Paul Korea night. I believe he will be there in person, and maybe I'll make a sign because I think that uh, until you get a guy like Paul Korea who knows how devastating head injuries can be, until you get a guy like that having some influence in the Department of Player Safety, I think that the emphasis will always be on protecting the career of the person who committed the hit rather than the health of the person who received the hit. Uh, all that said, uh, it is nice to see Johansson play. I think he looked more himself against Florida. I, From a um, human perspective, I would much rather him be sitting out if he has a head injury until he f uh, feels 100%. But obviously, these are professional athletes, and they won't sit out unless they absolutely have to. Um, yeah, the Arizona game was pretty worrying because there were times when he just really looked slow and kind of lost and uh, you know, if I'm if I'm a spotter or a coach, even who cares about my players, I'm just yanking him right there and saying, you know, uh, -uh you're you're not playing yet. Anyway, as I said, I I won't linger too much on that because that that rant gets a lot longer. I promise you, if you let it. Um. Anyway, uh, I guess just back. To, yeah. Well, that's good. I you know I I hope I'm not saying anything completely unreasonable here. I just if if the league is really going to take a stance against head injuries, they're going to have to start penalizing players who don't do it on purpose. You know, it's again I don't think Carrier targeted Johansson's head. Maybe he did, and I'm giving him too much benefit of the doubt. But you know, you always hear the phrase uh, "principal point of contact," and the head was absolutely the principal point of contact on that hit. Um, the hit was late. It wasn't terribly late, but it was late. Um. Oh. And like no, a, a hockey play can be a, can be illegal, right? Because we, we can all agree that fighting is technically a hockey play, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and that, that's illegal. As much as people want to say that it's accepted, it's still five minutes for a penalty. Like, it, you know, it's it's just a bit yeah. ridiculous. The NHL, I don't, I, I don't want to get too much into rant too, but it's ridiculous that the NHL keeps putting the well being of bottom sixers and plugs over the health of their stars and it's and it's nuts it's not okay and it's unacceptable and it's why the nhl will always be a bottom league in america because they just refuse to actually look after their stars but whatever i guess wow. that means more for the less of us <laughs> there you go <laughs> it's an interesting phrase um took me a second to, to even understand it works. Um, anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll pivot. We'll just start <laughs> talk about the team as a whole because they have produced some – I think the Predators have been a very interesting statistical team because they've – if you look – you know, as George made the joke earlier, if you're just looking at spreadsheets and you're not actually watching the game, you might think that Nashville is actually a pretty bad hockey team. And a lot of these different categories, um, they're pretty consistently outplayed in the slot, leading to a, usually losing the high-danger chance battle. Uh, and that was a, a, just as an example. I think one thing that really set their performance against Vegas apart was that they, like you said, they allowed a lot of shots, but not many from that high danger area, which is progress in my opinion. You've got to keep, um, you've just got to keep the the attackers out of that zone and try to figure out how to get in there yourself. At the moment, they are uh, over the course of the season, Nashville's getting beaten in high danger chances, uh, three forty nine to three fifteen. So they've produced three hundred fifteen. And George, you put this together. Is this five on five stats? I assume. Yes, this is five on five. Yeah. Okay. So at, at five on five, not so not including special teams, Nashville has created three hundred and fifteen high danger chances through uh, their is it forty six games now, forty five still, um, and they've allowed three hundred and forty nine. So not it's. I mean, there's that's not a huge gap. Um, it's not quite as bad as maybe I would have expected, but that's going to create some some issues and. Corey, do you think that uh, 
is this a, I mean, I guess the question that I have at this point is, is this a simple fix or is this something that will not be fixed? You know, um, is it a simple fix? Yeah, you play better defense. Um, I mean, that's that's the long and short of it for me at least. But the good thing is, yes, they're allowing those chances, but they're winning the scoreboard. Uh, I mean, I think the stat was uh, eighty was an eighty nine point four percent saves on those high danger chances. So they're not allowing teams to score at a high rate against them, considering they're in a place where they're supposed to score at a high rate. Um, you, you know, it's we saw things like last few nights where the the defense just lapsed, and I think that's the biggest part is we're allowing players to get in places because the defense isn't paying attention to who's around them, um, and. So is it a simple fix? We can just say play better, better defense. Is it going to get fixed? I don't know. But as long as the Predators are still winning games, I don't know if they're going to really care to fix that. Like it's, It may not be a, a philosoph- philosophical thing they want to address as long as they're getting, you know, getting the victories. I know they're getting outshot across the board this year. They're still winning games. Uh, they have lapses of defense. They're still winning games. So, you know... It, does it need to be fixed? Absolutely. Play better defense. But is it going to get fixed? I don't know if they really care at this point in time. That's. I was at the that's, Arizona that's game. Dangerous. Or with it. Yeah, yeah, it is, da- it well, is dangerous. It's very dangerous. But at the same time, is it, you know, yes, they want to keep people away from the net. Yes, they want to keep you know pucks from going in the net. But is it something that they're going? To, is it something that can be fixed easily? Play better defense. That is that going to happen? I don't know. With the, with the way things have gone so far this year, we have too much evidence to the contrary. We've seen so many lapses from Emelin. We've seen uh, you know just trying to get the chemistry between the lines, and now it's going to shift around because you know because of injury and things like that. So, I my I could go on and say I don't know, but it needs to get fixed. How's it going to get fixed? When's it going to get fixed? I don't know. Well, I, my argument for why it will get fixed is because at the moment, Nashville is writing an 89.4 save percentage in high danger chances, which is about 15% higher than league average in those areas. So Nashville goaltenders are saving 15% more shots than the league average in those areas. Now, as we've discussed, Pecorino, it seems to be Saros is kind of shooting up and up, but Rene is coming back down to earth. That save percentage will decrease, and suddenly they will not be getting these wins. And I realize that this is all hypothetical, and and you're right. They are getting the results, so it's very hard to argue against this team. But when they're not able to rely on an almost 90% save percentage and high-danger chances, that issue will need to be fixed in a hurry. And I personally, I just wish they would fix it ahead of time. You know, it's not these are not hard numbers to find. These are free websites. The three of us are not, you know, paid by the NHL to do this. It's it's not hard to f- realize these issues ahead of time and, and hopefully work on them. That's what I was hoping they would work on, you know, over the holiday break a little. I, I realize that they're they're not all playing hockey, cons- you know, 24-7, but they have these little breaks, and I wish that they would take those times. You know, today's practice is about defending the slot or attacking the slot, you know. Ugh, it just, it just bu- bugs me that this team – this coaching staff seems completely unwilling to do anything preemptively. They just react, and currently they're they have nothing negative react to react to because Nashville's been they've been getting the results. Um, yeah, but I think that once that I think once that save percentage comes down, uh, this issue will need to be fixed, and hopefully will get fixed before the playoffs. 
because uh, we all know the playoffs are a different kind of game, and you're not going to be able to, you know, once you're knocked out of the playoffs, you can't say, okay, well, we need to fix that. <laughs> it's a little too late. Uh, George, I'll, I'll let you jump in here with your thoughts. Um, I don't really have much to say about the stats of it all because I think that you guys pretty much nailed that part. But um, just from watching games over the last couple of weeks and kind of taking a deeper look into it, one of the things I've noticed is that the way that the Predators go into boards and into you know puck battles along the boards, especially behind the net, where they'll oftentimes they'll, they will throw two of their defensemen or two players into into the board battle, and what they'll do is they'll try to outnumber uh, the opposition there, and they'll do it in kind of a layer where you have two. If there's two guys on the boards for the opposition, they'll throw PK Subban and Ryan Johansson into the corner, and they'll have Alexi Emlin just kind of waiting a little bit outside that scrum, just between the puck and the net, but still just trying to. You know, still kind of acting as a little bit of a layer, as a buffer. And in case the puck does squirt out, you can make a reactive movement to it. And that's cool, but they're just not winning those puck battles. And it's not... The people that I used are actually pretty good at winning puck battles. It is guys like Emelin, Weber, uh, Irwin, Yossi. Guys like that that are just having issues along, along the boards. And because they can't win those battles, and because people that are trying to buffer and trying to uh, layer in, in the slot aren't really in the slot then the pucks being able to kind of moved out to these high danger areas. Um, I mean, we can say all we want that they need to play better defensively, but what's the key to it? And I think that the, the biggest key is uh, sacrificing shots from the point to have, you know, to, to protect shots from down low. And what that entails is moving wingers lower. Um, Philip Forsberg, uh, Victor Arvidsson already kind of do it, but not, not as much as they should. But guys in the, on the fourth line and the third line, um, Austin Watson especially likes to kind of cheat uh, to the defenseman and plays very tightly on them. And what that what that does is uh, it, it means he blocks a lot of shots and he intercepts a lot of pucks. But he does give up a lot of shots from that high uh, from the high slot from uh, from forwards that are kind of weeding that area that he can't come down and, and stop. And today's NHL is very interesting in the fact that there isn't really you know, positions, people aren't playing their positions specifically. We're, we've now moved into a kind of system where you have guys that are almost like rovers, where the winger isn't just responsible for his defenseman, but he's also responsible for someone on his side of the ice in the high slot area. And a lot of wingers are kind of actually ignoring that, that winger in the high slot to kind of cover the defense to prevent that shot from the point. I don't know why they're doing it. It seems kind of, it, that seems like a systematic issue more so than a player issue, but it's just not working. And because of it, you know, players are getting rebounds. Players are able to get shots from that high area and people and players are able to kind of cut to the middle of the ice. And that's where you're seeing a lot of those issues. Um, uh, so far through the season though, as we said, you know, a 89% high danger save percentage is because a lot of the goalies have been able to kind of swallow pucks and have able to kind of give up very, shall we say non-lethal rebounds. But as Rene falls back down to earth and as Saros kind of stops trending upwards and probably falls back down to earth as well, it's not going to go well. And these issues, I've seen these issues once before. Uh, I think the best example would be the, uh, the 2013, 2014, uh, Colorado, I'm sorry, 2014-2015 Colorado Avalanche, where they rode that ridiculously high PDO where Simon Varlamov was just absolutely incredible in that. And they got bounced in the first round by the Minnesota Wild because they just eventually the Minnesota Wild in a seven-game series figured out how to convert on all those high-danger chances that they were given. 
And so I'm just trying to, you know, I think that the that's going to be a big obstacle is by signing to the playoffs, making sure that they are not giving anything up that a team can solve in, in a seven-game series. Uh, yeah, and there's a lot more that could be said about this, but if we're <laughs> just for time's sake, we're going to have to look ahead. Um, a pretty uh, interesting couple of games, I think, for Nashville in the week, uh, upcoming week. They've got, obviously, Tampa Bay in town on Tuesday night, and then they're up in New Jersey on Thursday. Now, Tampa Bay, uh, as we've said, you know, currently the best team in the NHL in terms of points. However, they have lost three straight. They're four, five, and one in their last ten. Basically, since Hedman's been out, they've looked quite uh, like a much different team. And it kind of, you know, I, I should have been doing this all along, but I looked at their PDO, and <laughs> Tampa Bay has the highest PDO in the NHL right now. So their uh, shooting percentage and save percentage are combining for uh, 102.2%. So uh, basically when you find a team that's overperforming in those two categories, you can expect them to start crashing down. And I wonder if we start started to see Tampa Bay, maybe, you know, even Hedman injury uh, notwithstanding, you know, I wonder if they're just as, as a whole kind of coming back down to earth. So all that said, it might be a kind of a good time for Nashville to be playing Tampa Bay. Um, but they've got, uh, you know, I hesitate to say lightning speed. They're a very, uh, you know, clinical, don't laugh at that, clinical offensive team. Um, Got some good defensive weapons. And then, of course, Vasilevsky playing very well as well. All that said, I will make both of you keep it pretty short for time's sake. Corey, your your prediction against Tampa Bay on Tuesday night? It all depends for me who they face in goal on Tuesday night. Uh, of course, uh, Tampa Bay is coming off that back to back with the Blackhawks. So, um, you know, they've they've been turning downward. Predators have been doing well. I would like to see two points. I wouldn't. Mind, I mean, I, I'd see it going to overtime though, and maybe with a, a, a loss in overtime. Uh, but uh, it's going to be a good game no matter what. Yeah, George. Um, for me, just looking back at the stats real quick, uh, the Predators will probably face Peter Budai, which, hey. I mean, another backup, right? But um, yeah, another backup. Well, what, what we see from the from their PDO is that they're getting an on ice save percentage of ninety three point five percent, which is absolutely bonkers. Uh, and we're starting to see it kind of trend downward. In the last four games, they've given up five goals, four goals, five goals, and then another uh, four goals. So that's what eight plus ten. That's eighteen goals in the last four games. Uh, so clearly, their save percentage is kind of falling back down to earth. And I'm not sure how much that's Vasilevsky versus uh, Peter Budai, but it's not good. Is it, um, still isn't Budai still injured? Is he? Oh, are they playing? Um, yeah, they're Louis playing. The, uh, yes. Yeah, huh. Domingue was. That, uh, yeah, he's the one that's in there now. Yeah, that, that's Budai, why. Budai got injured on the 29th, and he hasn't played <laughs> that's since. That's why. <laughs> yeah, oh, that, that's harsh. I figured out why the, why their goaltending is not doing that well, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's going to be a big deal. Uh, we always like to talk about how the Predators kind of play a next man up mentality. The Lightning emphasize that. If Stamkos and Kucherov aren't scoring, then it's Andre Plot and Tyler Johnson. If they're not scoring, it's Brain Point and Yanni Gordon. If they're not scoring, then it's Cedric Paquette and what used to be JT Brown. So uh, <laughs> this is going to be a really good challenge for the Tampa Bay Lightning, or I'm sorry, for the National Predators. But if they're facing, they're going to face a tired team, uh, then who knows? I, I think the Predators might actually come out with it. Yeah, and then I think uh, perhaps a more challenging opponent, surprisingly, would be the New Jersey Devils on Thursday night. New Jersey sitting uh, second right now in a very competitive Metropolitan Division. They are p- pretty unconvincing, three, four, and three in their last ten games. Um, 
but I mean, they've just been one of the huge, I think, you know, you talk about if Vegas wasn't a storyline this year, then Colorado and probably New Jersey would be the two big stories. So they, they've turned out to be a pretty challenging opponent. Uh, Corey, what do you think about this? Uh, and I, as I should say, a pretty injured New Jersey Devils team as of this week. So you think, you think Nashville gets the, gets it done in New Jersey? I think they can if, uh, I mean, Soros has been playing a really good net, and he may be the one that's charged with that game up in New Jersey. Jersey's only 13-6-3 at home this year, uh, and Nashville's actually doing really, really well on the road, compared, you know, especially considering recent years and their history. I mean, 12-7-4. Uh, and four. So I, I think this is a game where uh, if Nashville continues their streak, plays well against Tampa Bay, uh, they can continue on and get two points from Jersey. It'd be difficult, but I think they can do it. Yeah, and uh, George, uh, what's your point prediction against Jersey? Uh, I think that they're probably going to lose just because I don't I don't know if they beat the Lightning they'll lose, but if they win, but if they win against the Lightning or they, if they lose against the Lightning, then I think that the Predators will beat the Devils. I don't know why. I just think it's <laughs> I see them only getting two points out of. Hey, if you're going to make a prediction, you might as well just call in. All yeah. right. Uh, all right. Uh, that said, Corey, where can we uh, where can we find you on social media and the internet? I've got at J Corey Francis um, for Instagram, for Facebook, well, not Facebook, but uh, uh, Twitter. Also, my webpage, jcoreyfrancis.com, and for Predlines all, all the time. And George? Find me on Predlines. I write pretty regularly. Uh, find me on Twitter at georgem1019. The GM and the M are capitalized as always. Uh, yeah, it'll be, it's a good time. As for myself, you can find me on Twitter at wadem1994. George, that was your cue to say, wait him. Wait him. Uh, there you go. <laughs> you always do it. And then one time I let you have it. You don't. Yep. Uh, you can find me on predlines.com, of course, where I contribute pretty regularly. Other than that, uh, we will uh, hope to see you back, uh, or have you back, rather, as a listener next week. And if you wouldn't mind, just uh, throw us a, a five-star rating or whatever you feel is appropriate on, yeah. on uh, iTunes. Just help us get a little more publicity. And... Uh, Other than that, uh, thank you both for joining me, and uh, see you next week. Bye, everyone.